Costs are going up on everything. You know you need to increase revenue to offset your higher expenses. You've heard a million things colleagues and competitors are doing to bring in more revenue. So which way is the best for you? Running a service business can be hard. It is not unusual for business owners in industries like contracting, home repair, auto repair, business-to-business services like janitorial, IT and accounting, and many others to feel overwhelmed by all the priorities facing them at any given time. Between addressing the needs of the customers, managing the employees, figuring out the financials, and getting processes in place, feeling like you're making significant progress on your business journey can be difficult. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. So you know you need to bring in more revenue. Everywhere you turn, there are suggestions, ideas, new fads on how to do it. You hear from Facebook groups, industry association meetings, industry friends and colleagues, articles, employees. The list goes on and on. It can certainly be overwhelming, and it can even cause paralysis as you try to figure out which way is best. You might even start down a path of implementing a particular strategy to to increase revenue and then figure out it's just not for you and decide a different one's better and then you just start all over again. Meanwhile, every day your revenue is not increasing is another day that you're falling behind or failing to keep up or making up for the higher costs you're paying for everything. So what are we to do? Well, here's my suggestions. The first thing I would do is clear your mind of all that minutiae. Before picking a new initiative to implement, let's first identify where your revenue low-hanging fruit is. It doesn't make any sense to pick a strategy that works for somebody else, but is not your low-hanging fruit. This can be hard for you to implement, or you've already maximized that particular thing to the degree you can, more so than the competitor or the friend or the colleague or the employees, whoever they heard it from. So just because it works for somebody else doesn't mean it's going to work for you. That doesn't mean because it works for somebody else it wouldn't work for you. Of course, it can work for you as well. But my point here is hearing from somebody else that it worked for them is not, that's not the trigger for us to start doing things ourselves. We kind of have to go through a process to figure out what makes sense for us in our business right now based on our circumstances today, period. So again, the first thing I would suggest is clear your mind of all that minutiae, all those ideas you've heard. Just for now, just put them aside. And we want to we figure out where our low-hanging fruit is. So again, how we're going to do that is we're going to come to the conclusion first and foremost that there's really only four ways to increase revenue. If your business is one where your most of your revenue is not recurring, like let's say you're a, a residential roofing contractor, for example, then the four ways to increase revenue are increase leads or opportunities, increase conversions of leads to sales or your close rate, increase add-on sales, or raise prices. Those are the four. That's it. Now, if your business is one where most of your re- uh, revenue is recurring, like let's say you're a, a commercial landscape business, for example, then the four ways are increase the number of customers, increase the frequency of service, increase add-on sales again, or raise prices. So in either case, whether your, your industry and your business is mostly recurring revenue meaning you don't have to go out and get new customers all the time. You have the same customers that call you repetitively. You do want to get new customers, but it's not the same as 
a customer that calls every seven years or every 20 years, like a roofing contractor. That's a different model than a CPA firm or a bookkeeping firm or an IT service providing firm where they just have, they want to get new customers, but the, once customer is a customer, they're, they're there for a while. There's no, there's no uh, conversion every month. Like it's just recurring. So now that we've narrowed down things substantially, we can start to look in, at the list and identify which area would have for your business the greatest impact in the least amount of time with the least amount of effort and is the most sustainable for the long term while still leaving your company competitive in the market. So let's look at each one of these things individually. Uh, and let's start with the, the, the one that is probably the most polarizing, and that is raising prices. And, and I'm also going to include, um, for those who have recurring revenue, you know, increasing frequency in the same category, um, just because it kind of fits with that. And the reason I say that this is raising prices is the most polarizing is because in my experiences, in my experience, business owners fall into really two camps on price increases. The first one is raising prices is easy and common. In fact, it's kind of the default move. Oh, something went up 5%. We're raising our prices 5%, period. Like, just that's the model. That's what we've done. Um, I've heard people, you know, just the way they talk about raising prices is just easy for some folks. And, and maybe even too easy, <laughs> I would argue. Uh, and then, so then there's the other side, which is, holy crap, if we raise our prices more than 5%, our customers are going to head for the hills. They're out. They're leaving. They're bailing. And in either case, most of the time, I would say right now, going against what feels comfortable is probably the right answer when it comes to raising prices. If you regularly raise prices without really seriously considering and implementing other solutions when prudent, at some point, you will lose the ability to use price increases as a primary solution. At some point, the customer is not going to be willing to pay for inefficiency or lack of training or whatever it is. And by the time you realize that, it really could be too late. Now, if you're reluctant to raise prices, you've probably got way more room to move than you think. And I know it's scary. I know of at least one time when I had to raise prices um, 25%. It was, a no, I'm sorry, it wasn't 25%. It was about um, 13%. We raised 25% over a couple of years. One of those price increases was about 10%, and another one was about 13%. And the 13% one, I made a lot of phone calls. I got a lot of counsel. I was really, really nervous. I was one of those people that thought, they're going to head for the hills. The customer's going to be out. So I know it's scary. But now, is it for those of you who haven't done price increases uh, in quite a while, now is the time. Everything is going up. Prices for everything is getting higher. So if you don't raise prices now and you wait six months or a year or what, whatever, if you can even afford to wait that long, and everyone else has stopped raising prices and then you do a price increase, now you're really in trouble. So you kind of, if you haven't done price increases before, you kind of have to go with the flow here. This is the time to raise prices if you haven't done it before and you know you need to re increase revenue. Uh, so let's talk about add-on sales. So depending on your industry and how many additional products or services you can reasonably expect to add, this may or may not be a good solution. This is absolutely one, though, where I would ask industry colleagues and people in your industry association, friends that you know across the country who do the same kind of thing that you do, people you met at the national convention five years ago, these are the people I would absolutely call and ask questions about add-on sales. And I would ask questions like, which add-on item are you the most successful at consistently adding? Or 
which add-on item was the easiest to train your team to incorporate into your sales process? Or which add-on item does your team like the most? Your team, your employees, which one do they like the most? Because that's going to be one of the ones that's easier to, to get on, you know, get them on board with. Which add-on item have your customers been the most receptive to? Obviously, if your customers like it better, or their customers like it better, yours are more inclined to like it also. And the last question I would ask, and again, this is not a, a, you know, an end-all list, so you might have more questions like this, but these are the kinds of questions I would ask. The last one would be, which add-on item do you look back at disbelief as to why you didn't incorporate into your sales process earlier? Like, which one is a no-brainer now as you look back and go, holy crap, why didn't we do that a long time ago? So those are the kinds of questions I would ask people in my industry if I thought add-on sales, like, we, you know, we're really just, we don't have a lot of add-on sales, and I think there's potential for it. Then I start calling around asking, like, which one's the low-hanging fruit? Like, which one is for us would be the easiest to implement? Um, next one is increasing conversions. So this is something that, quite frankly, many of us are probably a little rusty at right now. We haven't had to worry about this in, for many, for some people, you know, a few years. Uh, for many people, a couple of years. Um, we just might need to start refreshing our employees' memories on how to be better at converting prospects and leads and, and opportunities to sales. We've kind of gotten into it for many folks, I know, uh, have kind of gotten into a pattern of being more exclusive, like trying to weed stuff out that they don't want than trying to close stuff to get more sales. And, you know, some of you might not be there yet. Some of you are maybe still going, hey, I, I got more work than I can get to. I, I get it. Cool. I would say that it kind of feels like um, that era is coming to an end. Again, I don't want to be, you know, this guy's falling and we're going to be in the, you know, the crash of 1929s around the corner. I'm not, I'm not saying all that. But it does kind of make sense. We're at the end of this long economic run. And, you know, things might slow down a little bit for a while. It might not happen for a few months. It might not happen for a few years, but it's going to happen. So at whatever point, if you're not there yet, this is still something that as we kind of enter that phase, employees are going to be a little rusty on conversions. So we're going to have to uh, freshen up our training on that a little bit. Um, we've spoken a lot recently about uh, coming at things from the customer's perspective and speaking their language, for example. These are the kinds of things that our employees might need refreshers on. They probably haven't had that conversation with you or each other or had to practice that stuff for, for some time now, at least not to the degree that we would need to if, if increasing revenue is really going to be a, a challenge for us. Uh, we haven't talked about role-playing um, a whole lot, and I'm a big fan of role-playing where it makes sense, especially for uh, people who have really high credentials in their industries. You know, again, CPAs are a great example of this. Um, home service providers like plumbers, electricians, they know, these people all know their craft really well. IT service providers, I'd put in that category. These people all know their craft. That the people out in the field know their craft really well. They don't necessarily uh, have the ability naturally to pinpoint when they've addressed a customer's need, a concern, a hope, a wish. Some of these things have to be practiced. And when they can do it really well in front of their peers, which is really you know hard for some folks, it's embarrassing in, in the beginning, it's awkward. If they can do it really well there, they will nail it when nobody else is looking except for the customer. So even as uncomfortable as it is for some folks, there's huge gains to be made there, especially in technical industries where their, their technical expertise is superb, but they don't necessarily have the, the ability to know naturally the nuances of when the customer is ready to move on to the next step when their, their needs have been satisfied and they're okay. Like, hey, now I get it. Now I, I trust you, for example, and we can move on to the next thing. 
Some folks just need practice with that. And I think role-playing is a fantastic way to do it. Much of the improvement uh, can be made with our people if we explain, if our people can explain with certainty what the customer's fears, concerns, hopes, wishes, and deal breakers are. So if we have a, you know, we're having our weekly training meeting or monthly training meeting, whatever, and you ask your employees, like, you know, what do you think the top three fears are when we come to a customer's home? Or what do you think the top three concerns are when a customer comes to our location? And if their answers don't match yours, then, then that's a great place to start as far as increasing our, our conversions and our close rate is getting everybody on the same page as far as addressing the customer's needs. If they can't do that, if you ask them those questions and, they, and their answers do not match yours, then I would say this is probably your low-hanging fruit. It would be, would be conversions. And we're going to talk about a little more about this next week also. If, if they can't tell you for, with certainty in a way that matches your belief what the customer's fears, concerns, hopes, wishes, and deal breakers are, then I would say that this would be the, the place to start. And it's important to know what our industry target close rate is. This varies widely from industry to industry. And we need to kind of have our finger on the pulse of what, what makes sense for our industry so we can set reasonably um, reasonable goals. And we also need to make sure if we're targeting close rate, and that's something we want to improve, or even if it's not really, I we got to measure this collectively and individually. If we only measure it collectively, and we have, you know, our, our collective close rate is 87%, we wouldn't know if we have one person at 58% unless we measured it individually. So, you know, you can decide if you want to publish that stuff. I'm a fan of publishing it. I think that that helps um, everyone if we publish those, those numbers. But if you decide you don't want to, I think you still need to measure it and still have conversations with folks who are um, not performing well. And the people who are really are performing well, help them lead the training, like help them teach what they're doing well. Because oftentimes those things are better taught from people who are peers it's not just the boss yammering on over and over and over again about the same old thing. If somebody's crushing it, let them lead the training. Let them, let, you know, first of all, it gives them um, some exposure and a kind of an attaboy for, for excelling. But also their peers are way more likely to listen to them on some things than they are the boss. So that, that's, um, those are all, all benefits, I think. Uh, the next one is in increasing opportunities, leads, and customers. I would say of the four, this is probably the most challenging for a few reasons here. If you need to ramp up your marketing efforts, if you have marketing in place and you're saying, hey, we just need more leads, more opportunities, we just need to do more marketing to, you know, do what we're, to get our numbers of opportunities up and things like that, to do so uh, wisely, you'll need to confidently know which marketing campaigns you have in place now are working and which ones aren't if you have more than one, which many folks do. If you only have one, then you can look in and go, okay, is this, is this working well enough for people to put more money into it or do I need to look at a different campaign? Uh, entirely. And for those who don't have any marketing because you kind of have been riding this wave, which, hey, I'm a big fan of. Why spend the money for marketing if you don't need it? If you're starting a campaign fresh and you've never had one, then you're going to go through what can be an expensive process of figuring out what works for you, which provider can deliver, how much money you want to spend overall or per lead or per click, etc. Or if you you kind of been out of the marketing game for a while, again, because you're riding the wave and things have been great and you haven't had to worry about this for a while, you're going to have to re-educate yourself on what's a reasonable cost per acquisition or a reasonable cost per click or what, you know, what click-through rate are we hoping for. All these kinds of metrics that have to do with, you know, oftentimes online marketing 
or tracking phone numbers. If you're doing some other kind of marketing, you're doing some like published marketing, if you're, you know, get tracking phone numbers and things like that to figure out what's working and what's not. Marketing can be one of those areas that money is just thrown away. It, you know, there's, there's, it's one of those areas where if we're not careful, the, the expense can get way out of hand on us. And then the other one is for people who are in this situation where they need more customers or more opportunities or more leads or whatever, you might be considering hiring, hiring a salesperson. And I say this all the time. I've probably said on here numerous times, but it, just in case I haven't or you haven't heard it, an outside salesperson is the toughest job of all to manage. And I've managed tons of different positions. Outside sales is by far the hardest. Uh, the, the freedom that people get when, they're, when they don't have, um, you know, when they come to the office, they check in and they roll out the door and they're out. Okay, we're going to go. I'm going to go find customers today. If we're not careful, that the, the amount of freedom they have there can really um, be abused. And it's hard to manage. It's hard to track without looking like you're micromanaging and checking up on people like Big Brother stuff, like GPS on their phone. And it just gets really, it gets tough. Uh, the other thing is it takes months to know even if they're going to make it. You know, a good salesperson, a really good salesperson, if they if you hire them, you know, from the day they hit the road that your the training is done and they get going, it could still take, uh, you know, 90 days to get their funnel full before we can even expect to start seeing leads turn into customers. It could take 180 days. It could take a year in some cases to find out if they're really good or not. So it's just that it's a tough position. We just have to be really careful with this. And again, I'm not saying don't do it. I, you know, I've had outside sales people and some that are really good. It's just difficult to manage them. And, and it's an expensive try because if it doesn't work, you don't know for months in some cases and you spend all that money. Uh, the other thing is good salespeople are generally, no matter what the economy is, good salespeople are already generally working. New salespeople who don't have a lot of experience but are a lot cheaper, you know, as far as their salary and things like that, it seems like it's a lot cheaper, but it's expensive to get them proficient. It takes time, which we have to pay them for, of course. It takes time for them to get good. You know, it takes time for them to fill the funnel and then start turning that those 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 uh, leads they have in their funnel into customers. That just takes time, which again is expensive. So if you're talking about a salesperson, this is something you just have to be aware that this, this is not as simple as we hire a person, turn them loose, and off they go, and they're going to solve the problem. It just does not work that way. We have to manage them carefully. We have to train them extensively. We have to ride with them a lot of times. We have to work with them. We have to go out and show them how to do it. it, it hiring salespeople is generally what folks do when they don't want to deal with the sales thing on their own. And they just kind of have this approach that like, I'll just hire somebody and they'll take care of it. Well, it really doesn't work that way, unfortunately, in most cases. Um, so before we move on to the next thing, I just want to uh, remind you, if you're feeling the sting of ever-increasing costs for things like fuel, supplies, and materials, and your employees are coming to you with higher wage expectations to combat the increased costs they're facing in their own households, like many business owners right now are feeling a lot of stress because it seems like they must choose between absorbing all these higher costs, which will dramatically reduce their profitability or, or even stability, or raising prices to the valued customers they've worked so hard to get and saying no to wage increases to their employees who are the lifeblood of their business. I hear business owners talk about the struggles they're facing when they must make these difficult choices and or have very uncomfortable conversations with customers and employees. If this sounds like you, let me take you a moment to tell you about the upcoming webinar I'm hosting to address these exact issues, and it's available for you at no charge. 
This webinar is for business owners in service industries who are feeling the strain of the serious problems we're facing here in 2022. During this webinar, which will last about an hour and a half, you'll learn how to precisely know how much your business can absorb increased costs and or increased employee pay while still maintaining profitability, creating a plan for your business to overcome the rising cost of fuel, supplies, and materials, how to approach uh, conversations regarding necessary price increases with your customers, including training your employees to have those conversations, options for helping employees overcome their temporary increased financial needs besides permanent salary increases, and how to have the conversations with your employees regarding their expectations for pay increases. We're entering a two-week enrollment period for my group coaching program, and the next one isn't until October, so you'll get a chance to learn what all is included for just a few hundred dollars per month for that program. The webinar is noon Pacific on Friday, June 17th. That's just in a few days, noon Pacific, this coming Friday. To register, go to businessownerswebinar.com. Again, this will be June 17th at noon. It's free, and you can register to attend at businessownerswebinar.com. So back to increasing revenue. Again, the first thing I'd recommend is clear your mind of all the minutiae, and we have to come to the conclusion that there's really only four ways to increase revenue. If your business is one where most of your business is not recurring, again, like a roofing contractor, residential roofing contractor, for example, the four ways are increased leads or opportunities, increased conversions or your close rate, increased add-on sales, or raise prices. If your business is one where most of your revenue is recurring, like again, commercial landscape business, for example, then the four ways are increase the number of customers, increase fre- frequency of service, increase add-on sales, and raise prices. So the trick is this. Look at that list identify which area would have the greatest impact in the least amount of time, with the least amount of effort, and is the most sustainable for the long term while still leaving your company competitive. So go through that list and, and you can, once you start just narrowing these things down and getting, re- again, getting rid of all that noise, and you really just let yourself come to the conclusion, hey, it's not complicated. I have four options to pick from. Which one's going to work best for us? And once we figure out which one's going to work for best for us, then we can start taking in ideas on what people have tried. But doing it the other way around is not going to be productive. It's going to it's going to cause us to spin our wheels a whole lot. So don't forget to go to businessownerswebinar.com to register for this Friday's webinar if you're interested in that. Also, if you have time, please share this podcast with a friend or colleague who's a business owner in the service industry. And if you haven't yet, please, pretty please with sugar on top, give us a rating review. If you can spare a couple minutes for that, that'd be awesome. So that's it for this week and I'll see you all next week.